Good morning again. Our scripture is Romans 8, and we will read uh, verses 1 through 13. Hear the word of God. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him, but if Christ is in you, Although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I want you to look at this picture with me, if we can get it up here. Anyone, anybody recognize this face? Do you know who this is? you know what this is? Yes. Yeah, this is, this is Mary's face. This is Michelangelo's Pieta. And uh, it's a famous work of art. It was installed in St. Peter's Basilica in Rome in 1500. That was a while ago. And it remained there until 1972 when a vandal uh, broke past the security and smashed it with a hammer, uh, shattering Mary's arm. Uh, you can see damaged her nose and uh, her veil and her left eye and parts of the back of her head. And uh, this guy, by the way, um, he, he was not well. He claimed at, at different points to be Michelangelo, and he also claimed to be Jesus. I'm thinking, I'm not a statistician, but I think it's the, the probability of him being either of those guys was low. Uh, <laughs> zero, Bob says. Bob says, no probability whatsoever. So he was not well. Um, over the next 10 months, the shards, the fragments, uh, were gathered up and painstakingly pieced back together. And I want you to take this as an image this morning of what God wants to do with you. Um, You know, God has made each one of us in his image, uh, but each of us with the rest of God's good creation has also fallen into sin and ruin and disrepair. Like, I don't have to convince you, I don't think, that there are broken places in your life that there are shattered places, that there are places that are marred and not as they should be. 
God, though, is a master rebuilder. Uh, he's an expert recreator, and he is at work to remake us and to restore us into his image and to um, renew us as the glorious people he created us to be. And at the center of all of that good work of God's is the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is the one who renews us in the image of Christ, who empowers us to love, who pieces back uh, the, the broken shards and slivers and who makes us whole again. And so one of the greatest callings on your life and mine is to live in the Spirit and to participate in the good work of the Spirit. How do we do this? That's what we'll, we'll look at this morning. Let's turn to our passage. In it, Paul shows us that life in the Spirit involves knowing who we are, and it also involves becoming who we are. Okay, knowing who we are and becoming who you are. You've got to know who you are, but you also have to become who you are. So two points. Uh, you know, our culture is obsessed with identity. You know this, like all, all the, like, whatever your favorite movie is, I don't know what it is, chances are, Somewhere near the heart of that story is a question of identity. I mean, some of you might like um, Star Wars movies. Think about how the Star Wars movies are really driven by that question. Like Luke Skywalker, he's you know, desperate to know his true identity, and then that gets picked up by Ray in the newer films. But if you want to go old school, I mean, think about the original like Pinocchio story. Here's this, here's this boy desperate to become a real boy, uh, unsure of who he is, wanting to be made whole and new. The prevailing mindset of our day is, uh, you are what you make of yourself. It's up to you to find out who you are and to create who you are and maybe to redefine who you are. And, and in our culture, our identities, we're told, depend almost entirely on us. Romans 8 has a different message. Your identity doesn't come from you. It comes from the one who made you. Uh, it's not something you create. It's something you receive as God's gift to you through Christ. This is an important theme of our passage, and although Paul never uses the phrase, like at the center of this new identity that we're given is the idea of union with Christ. Union with Christ. What does that mean? We've talked about this bef before, but remember there are kind of two aspects of union with Christ. First, it means that you are in Christ. You're in Christ. Listen again to verse 1. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Remember, Paul never uses the word Christian in any of his letters. The phrase he uses over and over again to describe people who believe in Jesus and people who follow the way of Jesus are, he says, these are people who are in Christ. That's Paul's go-to language. Being in Christ is a way of saying we're so connected to him, we're so connected to Jesus that everything he has is ours and everything in turn that we have, he takes on to himself. And so we talked about this last week, remember, but his judgment, remember, uh, I mean, excuse me, your judgment, he has made his own. There's nothing left to judge. That's why Paul can say that there is now no condemnation. Um, your sin has already been condemned in the flesh of Jesus. It's finished. Uh, more positively, being in Christ means that everything Jesus has accomplished counts for you. Um, you remember this. This is, this is my go-to analogy for being in Christ. But you, you remember, like, I was, it's hard to believe, but I was an undefeated basketball champion for six consecutive years, first through sixth grade. 
even though I was like, as you can imagine, a horrible basketball player. I never scored a single point, but I had this shelf full of trophies. I'd invite my friends over and say, hey, look at all my basketball championship trophies. Why? Because my team was really good and because I was in the team. I was on the team. Um, That's what it means to be in Christ. Like your life is so bound up with his that what is true of him is true for you. You're in Christ. But that's not all. Christ is in you. Look again at verses 9 through 11. I'm just going to read this, uh, and and I'll emphasize something for you to pay attention to. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, and then he goes on. But you can see there how Paul um, can just kind of interchangeably talk about the Spirit dwelling us, indwelling us, and also Christ dwelling in us. Jesus and the Spirit, they're not identical, but they are inseparable. They're not identical, but they are inseparable. You never have one without the other. You know, sometimes we talk about Jesus living in our hearts, um, and uh, it's it's strange language because you don't actually have like this little tiny Jewish man living inside your body. Uh, but it's true language because Christ really is in you. Christ really is in you by the power of the Holy Spirit. Not identical, but inseparable, the Spirit and Christ. It's kind of mind-blowing when you think about it. It's not just that what Jesus has accomplished counts for us. It's that God takes the living presence of Jesus and like deposits the living presence of Jesus inside of us by the power of the Spirit. Like, so, so the same Jesus who calmed storms and who healed the sick and who liberated people from spiritual oppression and who was always going after the low and the least and the last in humble, self-giving love, like that same Jesus lives in you by the power of his Spirit. Um, this family is your identity. This is your identity. By the power of the Holy Spirit, you are united to Jesus Christ. And this gift of grace uh, changes you. It changes you. One way you could think about it is, uh, and I don't know, kids, you might, you might like this illustration. I was thinking, what, what are the kids going to like? Think about the difference between Batman and Superman. All right. So Batman. Batman, super cool, right? Super cool. But basically just a rich ninja with like a bunch of fancy gear. That's it. That's all Batman is. Like whatever skills he he has are skills that he's developed on his own. Whatever stuff he has is stuff that um, he's acquired for himself according to his own resources. That's Batman. Spider-Man. Spider-Man is so different. Did I say Superman earlier? Yeah, I'm sorry. We're going Spider-Man. I meant to to say Spider-Man. Um, in a way, in a way, as you'll see, Superman's more like Batman. But um, Spider-Man, uh, when, like when Peter Parker becomes Spider-Man, like he is changed from a power outside of himself. Uh, that radioactive spider, according to the original story, like it fundamentally changes who he is. He he now has this power that he simply couldn't muster up on his own. And the point of all of that is to say, like being in Christ is so much more like being Spider-Man than being Batman, although it's not much like either. Uh, <laughs> but 
but more like Spider-Man than Batman. Like, you have received a gift that has entirely changed your nature. You've been given power that you just wouldn't be able to come up with your own. You couldn't go out and acquire it by your own resources. You couldn't muster this up. God has given you new life in his son by his spirit. And so the spirit is now like this real and living union between us and Jesus. That's union with Christ. You are in Christ and Christ is in you. It's a gift. It's a miracle. And it's true. It's true. Family, do you know your identity? Do you know that? Do you know who you are? I mean, doesn't that give so much freedom? Like freedom to stop frantically trying to craft your own identity. Freedom to stop desperately seeking to manage your reputation. Freedom to, to let go of all the fears and insecurities that you carry around with you. I mean, you are in Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is in you. Know who you are. Know who you are. But now also, become who you are. What is it that Uncle Ben tells Peter Parker? Do you remember? There it is. With great power comes great responsibility. Um, and, and for us, the responsibility that comes with our new identity is not, thankfully, swinging around on webs fighting crime, but rather, uh, our responsibility is to become like truly human, to become more and more like Jesus Christ in our love for God and in our love for other people. We've been given this identity by grace, and now we're called to grow into it and to live it out. And, and that might sound strange, but that's really like a principle and a pattern of personal change that runs through all of the Apostle Paul's theology. Uh, let me just give you an example. Earlier in Romans chapter 6, he says this, We were buried with Christ through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. And so the logic here is that like God has rescued us by uniting us to Jesus in his death and resurrection and that's like experienced and symbolized in our baptisms but now therefore Paul says live a new life because you've been rescued live a new life and you and you find this same uh, kind of logic working really in all of Paul's letters but if you think of like Ephesians and Colossians you can see it real easily there because it's basically like exactly the first half of the letter is here is what God has done, and it just does, like, Paul doesn't tell us to do anything. He just says, this is true, and this is true of you. God has done it, and then in the second half of each of those letters, there's a huge shift, and he's not saying, this is what's true, but he's saying, this is what you need to do now because this is true. Like, here's how you live in light of that reality. You've been rescued, and so, so now live in a way that just fits with the reality of being rescued. You've been given this new identity, and so now become who you really are. Um, it's the exact opposite message from like moralistic religiosity. That way always says, live a new life so that God will bless you or welcome you or receive you or love you. And Paul says, God has already rescued you. He's received you. He's welcomed you in. God does love you. Therefore, live a new life. Live a new life. See, that first way, the, the moralistic religiosity, um, that is just a recipe for guilt and fear and hypocrisy and pride. And the second way, the way of the gospel is this recipe for like life, 
and joy and lightness of heart. What Paul tells us in our passage is that we have been like dramatically transferred. And, and the language he uses is from life in the flesh to life in the spirit. Now those words can be misleading for us because when we hear flesh, we're immediately thinking about like the biological stuff that covers our bones. And when we hear spirit, we tend to think like immaterial, abstract, ephemeral, far off. This isn't what Paul means at all. He's talking about being trans uh, transferred from one uh, sphere of power to another. So that sin is no longer the most significant power at work in your life, but now it's the spirit of God. Um, I really like how um, a local uh, Christian who has been at Easton Fellowship and then was at Third for a while, her name is Erin Rose. Here's how she talks about this. She says that upon the moment of conversion, uh, each of us becomes kind of a dual citizen. We can travel back and forth between two realms or two countries. One is called Fleshlandia. Fleshlandia teaches its citizens that they are masters of their own destinies, they're captains of their own ships, that uh, like the only one you serve in Fleshlandia uh, really is yourself. Some of Fleshlandia's chief exports, according to Paul, are idolatry and hatred and immorality and greed and jealousy and fits of rage and envy and disobedience, selfish ambition. Um, it turns out that Fleshlandia knights are not really citizens at all. They're actually slaves. They're slaves to sin. They can only live according to their own appetites and desires. And, and here's the thing, and part of Paul's point in this passage is that Fleshlandia has no future. It has no future. Uh, it's a realm that is destined for death. It's a, it's a way of life that leads to death. Um, but there is another country. Uh, and we've been made citizens of it. Paul says, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you. And that if uh, is a word that some translations say since. And it can go either way in the Greek. It doesn't change the point uh, too much, but it could be that Paul is saying, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, since in fact the spirit dwells in you. This is spiritopia. So you got fleshlandia, you got spiritopia, the realm of the spirit. Previously, you had no choice but to serve sin. That's all you could ever do. But now, empowered by the spirit, you can follow the way of Jesus and you can keep in step with the spirit. Um, spiritopia is a country that actually has a future. It's a way that leads to life. And Paul is saying, he's saying, family, become who you are. He's saying, live in a way that shows that your citizenship is no longer primarily in Fleshlandia, but Spiritopia. How do you do that? How do we do that? How do we become who we really are? You know, it's not the kind of thing that happens automatically. Life in the Spirit calls for our active participation and practice. And so Paul talks about two activities for us to practice. He talks about the work of putting to death, and he talks about the work of setting our minds. We can't practice either of these without the Spirit's help. So like you can't just go like, Ugh, try really hard in your own power and put to death or set your mind. But it's also not the kind of work that the Spirit is going to do in your life without you. The work of becoming who we really are, it calls for our active 
intentional participation and cooperation with the Spirit. And so first, look at verse 13. Paul says, If by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. The word Paul uses is, is pretty extreme. Uh, execute, slay, kill. Uh, it's violent. It's a violent image. Paul doesn't say, you know, it might be a good idea. Uh, it might be a good idea if you cut back on life in the flesh. He doesn't say, you might try, like, limiting your sin in this area or that, that area. He doesn't say, ah, maybe, you know, one season of the year, maybe, maybe Lent, maybe between Ash Wednesday and Easter, you just give up a little bit of sin until Easter, and then Christ is risen so you can get right back to it. No, um, he says, put to death. He says, kill it, execute it, slay it. I mean, it is extreme. And you might think, well, Paul was just out there and extreme. But no, like, Jesus says the exact same thing. You remember, like, Jesus defined the entire life of discipleship as a daily dying, a daily putting to death. Jesus is the one who said, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. And it's hyperbole, but you can see that, like, it's the same message, like, put it to death. Kill it. The point is, wage war against your inner fleshlandianite. Practice putting sin to death. The attitudes and behaviors and desires of fleshlandia, they just don't have a future. They don't have a future. They have no place in the new creation. And, and so why would you hang on to them? That's the logic. Like, they're not going anywhere. They're not going anywhere. So you've got to leave them behind. You've got to put them to death. Um, now, this is something Paul tells us to do. It's work. It's action. And we can do it now, not because of who we are, but because of God's Spirit dwelling in us. The Spirit of God gives us not only the desire to turn from sin, but the ability to turn from sin. And so by the power of the Spirit, we're called to wage war on these old attitudes and behaviors that are pulling us or that would be pulling us back into fleshlandia. Um, so, th so there's an aspect of this is that it calls us and invites us to pay attention to our behavior, but we also are called to pay attention to the desires like out of which those behaviors flow. Um, what do we really want? Like, what are we really pursuing? What are we really living for? What's, what's going in, in uh, excuse me, what's going on in our hearts when uh, we are behaving in ways that contradict the reality of the new creation? Uh, you can think of this maybe as like tending the flower bed of your soul. Um, the task is to, is to rid that garden of the weeds, but you know that like the weed that you see is only a part of the weed. The, the weed goes way down into the soil and has those really long, stubborn roots. And if, if you pull out a weed and you don't uproot it, what happens? It's just like back the next day. Uh, and, and the longer you leave it alone, the deeper the root will grow. And so best to pull the weeds out as early as possible and to get it out entirely. When you see sinful behavior popping up in your life, uh, you might see if you can trace it back to the root. To say, like, what's really going on in my mind and heart and soul that like is leading to this kind of behavior and then just practice like waging relentless war on those weeds what's the root that needs to be killed so that's one practice put it to death um community by the way really helps with that remember paul's just he's not addressing us as isolated individuals he's addressing 
community of Christians following the way of Jesus. So get like a get some brothers or sisters around to help with your with the gardening of your soul. People you trust, obviously. People who aren't going to make a mess of, of the flower bed. But um, get some brothers and sisters around you. Practice putting to death. And then here's the second practice. Set your mind. Paul says, those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. And so the call here is not only to cut off our ties to fleshlandia, but also to cultivate our new identity as citizens of Spiritopia. And this means practicing a mindset that pays attention to life in the Spirit. Like to have your mind set on something, what does that mean? You know, I mean, uh, it's, it's to, to make something kind of the, to, to, to make something the thing that absorbs your thoughts, uh, that, that preoccupies you, that motivates you. And I wonder, you know this, only you can answer this question, but what is your mindset on? Like, in, in your Monday through Saturday life, like, what, what is preoccupying your thoughts? Where, what's your, what's absorbing, what are you giving your attention to? Um, Paul says, set your mind on life in the spirit. Remember, that's not about some immaterial realm that is far off. The contrast between the spirit and the flesh, it's, it's just the contrast between the new creation and the old. It's the contrast between a life that has a future and a life that has no future. And, and so practice, family, setting your mind on the new creation, on, on the relationship that God intends for heaven and earth to have with each other, on God's kingdom that's breaking in. Develop the habit of filling your mind with this good news. Christ has lived for you. Christ has died for you. Christ has been raised from the dead for you. And then, when you're setting your mind on that, practice living on the basis of that reality. Spiritopia has its own exports. What are they? I mean, go read Galatians 5. That's your homework assignment for this week. Last week it was Romans 7. This week it's Galatians 5. Some of you have some catch-up to do. <laughs> you got two chapters to read. Um, Spiritopia exports joy and peace and forbearance and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. And all of those things are virtues to be cultivated and practiced. Like you don't just, you don't just receive unity with Christ by the power of the Spirit and then suddenly you're the most patient person that's ever walked the planet or suddenly your anger is out of your life or suddenly you never lust anymore or you know, suddenly uh, um, you're super kind where you used to be grumpy and stingy. No, like the Spirit does his good work in you, but you have to practice these things. And so it's a call, family, to practice daily remembering and living out the truth of who you are. Uh, there's an author named Paul Tripp, and he says this, no one is more influential in your life than you are because no one talks to you more than you talk to yourself. Have you ever thought about that? Uh, like that you are in this unending uh, conversation with yourself. You're always talking to yourself and you're interpreting and organizing, organizing and analyzing what's going on inside you and around you. And I wonder, what does that conversation sound like for you? What do you tell yourself about yourself? 
What do you tell yourself about God? What do you tell yourself about your circumstances? Do your words to yourself encourage faith, hope, and love, or do they stimulate doubt and insecurity and discouragement and fear? Do you remind yourself of who you are in Christ, that you are raised with him and really have this victory in him, or do you remain stuck in guilt and shame and hopelessness? What does the conversation sound like? Do your internal conversations help you to live into your true identity in Christ, or do, you, do, do they keep you stuck in your old Adam identity? See, like, the, the question is, do you, do you talk to yourself like a Fleshlandianite, or do you talk to yourself like a Spiritopian? See, no one is more influential in your life than you are because no one talks to you more than you talk to yourself. Life in the Spirit. It's about knowing who you are, and it's about becoming who you are. Who are you? Um, you are a beloved image bearer for whom Christ died. It's your identity. Um, you have been united with Jesus by the Holy Spirit. That's your identity. You don't have to do anything to get God to accept you and receive you and love you like Jesus has lived a faithful life for you in your place. He's died for you in your place. He's been raised from the dead for you. Like, you know, he, Jesus has died for the weeds in your garden. <laughs> he's taken them into his own garden. He's made them his. He's made himself responsible for your soul. You cannot undo that, family. You can't undo that. But if that's true... If you've been so rescued, why would you keep living in Fleshlandia? Put off the old self, Paul says. Put on the new. He says in Colossians, set your minds on things above where your life is hidden with Christ and God. See, to go on living in the flesh, it's just, it's a deep contradiction of who we really are. It's a deep contradiction of who we will be when Christ returns in glory. Um, it's to live in a way that has no future, but you have a future. You're citizens of a different realm. Live life in the spirit. Know who you are and become who you are. In Jesus' name, amen? Amen.